the American League Championship. I don't believe it. It just continues. My oh High fly ball into right field. She is gone. The drives one. The Maiden Voyage of the FSS Plus Podcast. I'm Jason Churchill here with my co-host, Mr. Joseph Doyle. Did I did I say that right, by the way, Joe? Are you a Joseph or is it Joe and there's no Joseph and I'm just calling you by your wrong name right out of the gate in the first episode of the FSS Plus Podcast? Is it Joseph really, on the birth certificate, Joe? <laughs> I don't want this to be a, my mother is so proud of this podcast. I don't know about that, man. Yeah, let, let's just go with Joe. Let's just go with Joe. <laughs> All right. All right, Brosif. Um Brosif, uh, Rodomaggio. Okay. If you're not familiar with with myself or Joe, did I even say that? If you're not familiar with me or you're not familiar with Joe, uh, you can find Joe on Twitter at Joe Doyle M I L B. And you can find me on Twitter at Prospect Insider. Uh, you can find uh, a lot of Joe's really good draft coverage and other things at futurestarseries.com, including mock drafts, draft boards. Uh, Joe, this last time you went to 500, which is absolutely crazy amount of work. Um, I'm still not even all the way through it, trying to read through everything. It's it's incredible. Um, I, I so, commend you for taking on that task in the first place, Jason. I'm at about 200. Do you go by Jason for... I, I do go by Jason unless you ask my uncle Timothy, who goes by Tim, um, he, who calls me Jasonovich. So whatever you want to go with, most people call me Church, but Jason is my my given first name. It's on my birth certificate. I've seen it. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm at about 200 on your top 500, by the way. But uh, but I think Joe, that's probably what you're known for most at this particular point is your draft coverage. But lots of scouting, player development stuff. But we also talk a lot about big league baseball, and this podcast is going to be about a little bit of everything high school ball, college ball, especially as it pertains to the Major League Baseball draft, uh, minor league prospects, big leagues, teams, players, narratives, data, all kinds of stuff you're going to find out on this podcast. And we're probably not the only two voices you're going to hear on this show, uh, including as hosts. So there will be guests now and again, and there will probably be new hosts joining the show as well at some particular point. Um, Joe, I know one of the things that you and I tend to talk about quite a bit um, with the uh, with the draft is uh, uh, you, you get a, a a specific you know I, I think we know who the best player in the class is just for example, and then you try to figure out where everyone else goes you know after that. But the, the draft right now seems to be like it, it's growing. We don't look at the baseball draft the same way we look at the NFL draft, but I think because of some of the new additions. Uh, to the dra- the bonus pool, I-, I think has made teams handle the draft uh, differently. I think uh, uh, adding the extra picks with rookie of the year, which the Seattle Mariners are going to be able to take advantage advantage of this particular year. I think that's drawn in a little bit. Are you feeling this a little bit? The drafting a little bit more interesting to fans, and I'm hoping they continue to take steps in that direction. Are you feeling that the way that I am a little bit? Yeah, you know, and I'll I'll add another aspect of of what we've noticed here. It seems like Major League Baseball has been making a concerted effort to try and turn its event, 
into what the NFL and NBA have. Now, they're never going to fully achieve that because these players are two and a half, three years out from the time that they're drafted from making their big league debuts. But I think as analytics and scouting continue to advance and become more of a public narrative and you can start to kind of you know this one mlb thing that they're trying to accomplish which is like streamlining the entire baseball career from high school to major league baseball as they continue to lean into that i think the event is going to get bigger and bigger and it's really felt over the last two years despite the shutdown like this event has become more of a spectacle for the sport. And I I really, I appreciate that having, and you know this, having covered it for so many years. Thanks for dating me. Appreciate it. Um, Yes, I'm a thousand years old. What was the first draft? 1977? (laughs) How old were you? (laughs) It was in the 60s, bro, and I wasn't born yet. Let's just get that out there right now. I might look like I'm 75 years old, but I am not 75 years old. Um. So t- tell me what, t- tell me what this, uh, like here we are in early May, the draft is still two months away. Maybe walk me through, walk the audience through some of the things that are, that are kind of at the top of your, your, your thought process when it comes to the 2023 MLB draft and the class, I- I'll tell you what one of mine is and you you can, uh, address it if you want, or just skip it and go into your own. But the things I'm thinking about right now is. How important is this draft for which particular teams? How important is this draft for the Pittsburgh Pirates? How important is this draft for the Texas Rangers? How important is this draft for the St. Louis Cardinals, who are off to a terrible start? And we'll talk about them a little bit later. Um, Even though it's the draft, and like you said, most of these guys are two to three years off, but that's one thing I'm kind of thinking about right now. Even in May, who's good at this, who's not, and how important is every draft of these teams, especially the one right in front of us? What are the kinds of things that you kind of start thinking about with like 60 days left? We're about 65 days left, 64 days left before day one of the draft. I mean, I'll I'll add one other thing to the importance of the MLB draft and why it's becoming a big deal. The resources, like prospect value has never been this high. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine a, a number one overall prospect, Will Myers, or a number one overall prospect, or maybe he was number three, Glaber Torres. Can you imagine one of those guys being traded in any deal these days? I mean, there's just not very many players that would ever get moved for that sort of a play. You look at what the haul was for a Nolan Arredondo. Now, I know he had a gigantic contract attached to him, but he barely, what did he get? One top 100 prospect and, and some quantity. Right. So, yeah, I think, you know, the, just prospects are at such a value premium right now. So it makes the draft that much more important. This time of year... I think we're still kind of at that point where we're more so discussing macro narratives of this draft. Like how does it compare to other drafts? Um, Where are the positions of strength? Where are the weak positions? Like I I look at for this draft in particular, I look at how insanely strong the top 12 of this draft are. This is, if you're picking, I'll give you an example. Like if you're picking six or seven this year, you're going to get a college bat that was better than every other college bat in the 2022 class, or probably the 2021 class, six, seven, eight, right in that range. So, I mean, those are the really fun narratives to kind of talk about. And you kind of start talking about, you know, how some of these different, uh, you know, money plays are going to, are going to happen. The Rangers don't have a second or a third round pick. How is that going to impact what the twins do right behind them? How is that going to impact, what the Rangers do in terms of like paying someone full slot with their first round pick. So yeah, I mean, this is definitely the, we're still collecting, we're still collecting information, 
But May 1st is generally when you start hearing teams, general managers, scouting directors, physically being attached to certain players. And so that's kind of what makes it fun. But I, I mean, you said you, you're through 200 players in this draft now. Kind of what have been your thoughts in in terms of what you've read? And uh, please critique my reading and tear it to pieces. <laughs> uh, no, you know, the, as I'm going through this, I'm really not paying attention too much at the ranking. As I read your, your write-ups on these players, there's usually a good full paragraph's worth or two on every player, uh, including those outside the top 10 or 20, you get down to 100, 150, 200, 250. And I'm expecting there to be a sentence, but there's a full paragraph on these players. It's really good work. But I'm really thinking about like uh, something I learned years ago. And I I learned this from Tom McNamara, former scouting director, Seattle Mariners. Now his results as a scouting director, mixed results, certainly mixed results. I think they took some good players that didn't get development. I I think he took some players high that he had no business taking, but I learned something really fun from him. And, and, and that's, Stop telling me, he, he literally said this, that he says this to his scouts. I do not want to know what this player cannot do. Tell me what this player can do and we'll fit that in to where he belongs on the board. I do not care if he like has problems hitting breaking balls away. Tell me what he can do. I'll assume that that's all he can do and make the assessment otherwise. I want to focus on what's he good at and what our development program can do with that. So as I'm reading you know, strengths and weaknesses and, and where this player maybe fits in a lineup or maybe fits on the field or where it fits in a rotation or is he a bullpen arm? I'm thinking, what can he do and what can this look like? Because as we know, teams like to identify players and then say, okay, what can we do with this? Um, so I'm trying to think of that too and, and not necessarily where he fits in the draft or where he ranks, but what does this guy look like? Because on draft day, when we get a guy who most all of these outlets out there, including future star series, including Joe Doyle, have a guy ranked 310th, when we see a team pop him at like 140, we're going to be like, all right, this is either a, a a bonus pool move, it's a senior sign or something along those lines, or they see something there. And usually it's a combination of both. They just don't take a guy cheap only because he's cheap. They see something there they can, they can work with. We see teams drafting reliever-only types in the third or fourth round to save a little money so they can push that toward other picks but then they end up getting some of that, something out of that particular pick. So those are the kinds of things I'm trying to identify as I read through this. Um, and again, I'm, I'm almost halfway through and I'll probably get through the rest of it uh, over the weekend me, uh, if possible. Let me ask you, because it, it sounds like you're a process-oriented guy, kind of similar to me in how you evaluate talent. But if you're looking at a, a pool of 500 players, 600 players, 700 players, let's say you're looking at the top five. And I tell you, so-and-so can't hit a breaking ball in the outside corner, a good breaking ball in the outside corner. Mm-hmm. Is that like, where does that weigh in your process? I guess a better way of asking this question would be, are, do you take a top-down approach or a, you know, a bottom-up approach? Do you want to know how these guys struggle and whether or not your team can, can fix that red flag? Or do you mm-hmm. take the alternate side and just, you know, the McNamara approach and say, okay, this guy's got a ton of power. We're going to figure it out. Right. So I think you have to have all of that information. So when you think, okay, like McNamara's thing was tell me what he can do. If you tell me what he can do and don't tell me what he can't do, if you, t- if you don't tell me he can hit a breaking ball away, I'm going to assume that he can't. Like that's kind of the idea there. But you're obviously going to get a full report. You've seen scattering reports. I've seen scattering reports where it says, hey, 
he does this, this, and this, and you're kind of dreaming a little bit. This is what he can be in the future. This is where comps come into play. This is what kind of role he can play based on the tools that I saw in the production we saw in college or high school or whatever. So I'm not, I just don't want to focus on what he can't do. I want to include that in the assessment. Absolutely. So I'm think I'll think about that. Absolutely. But again, from somebody who consumes the draft the way that I do, I'm not trying to make the picks. I'm not trying to go into it saying, where do I value this player? Um, because I think it's different for every team. Uh, what are they good at developing? Right. You know what I mean? Like, like we know that some teams yeah. are good at developing hitters. Some teams aren't. Some teams are good at developing starters. Some teams really aren't, at least relatively speaking. So I'm trying to think of it from a, from a neutral standpoint for the most part. Um, so when they do make a pick that seems to, 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 to at least me and, and to the public rankings that we see, um, when I, when I have on draft a Joe Doyle's top 615 players or whatever it ends up being, and I see a guy ranked 300 that gets popped in at a hundred or something, I'm going to want to think about why that is, um, because someone's going to ask me and someone's definitely going to ask you. And people are definitely going to ask the Cardinals or the Phillies or the pirates, why they took that player. They're going to wonder why I want to have an idea. So that's kind of what I'm thinking about as I go through this. Um, before we get off the draft, you mentioned the Rangers because they draft so high. I think they were a really interesting uh, topic here. They're an interesting subject to think about. The Texas Rangers, instead of like a rebuild, have decided to spend a bunch of money. Corey Seager, Marcus Simeon, Jacob deGrom, uh, among some other smaller deals. And you said they don't have a second or a third? Like, this seems like... I, I don't, I'm just going to say I don't love their approach to, to spending their way out of a rebuild, not just spending money in general, but avoiding an actual rebuild. But that, that has to hurt, especially Joe. And, 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 and I'm curious to, to see if you agree with this, especially since some of their recent draft picks aren't off to good starts in terms of development and what their, their uh, trajectory to, to the majors looks. And I'm speaking about Kamal Rocker and Jack Leiter among others that they're getting some pretty good production right now from, from, uh, from Josh Young, but like you look at some of the arms and some of the things that Texas is going to need to compete in the American League West long term. Now they're doing it right now, but I don't really love what I'm seeing there. And they're they lack bonus pool flexibility in this draft, and they lack a couple of picks. This is not ideal for the Texas Rangers. I think this puts a lot of pressure on getting the fewer picks they have right at some point, or they're going to continue. They're going to continue to have to be like the '90s and 2000s Yankees and continue to spend their way out of roster problems. Yeah, I, you know, I think I think the Rangers are in a very they're in a it's a it's a fortuitous position first of all, they pick fourth. I mean, they're beneficiaries of the lottery, which is great. But on the other side of it, it's a it's the, the top 5 in this class really stand out. Dylan Cruz, Wyatt Langford, Paul Skeens, Walker Jenkins, Max Clark. And for some, I would lump Kyle Teal in there. Um so you take those five or six players. They have the fourth pick in the draft, I believe, if if I'm if my numbers are correct, they have the seventeenth biggest bonus pool because they're missing a second rounder, they're missing a third rounder. So what that really it, it puts so much pressure, so much pressure on the fourth overall pick because you can go one of two ways here, and and they did this last year. They take Kumar Rocker. They didn't have a second or a third rounder last year uh, either because they spent so much money. Uh, you, you can go super super under slot and give yourself the ability to get a little creative in the fourth and fifth and sixth round, get some actual premium talent. And they did that by landing Brock Porter, or 
you can take the best player on the board, whether that be Jenkins, Clark, Teal, yada, yada, yada. The thing that makes this interesting, though, Jason, and that I'm fascinated by, the Twins pick fifth. And the Twins, I believe, have the third or fourth most money in this class. So they can play bully ball. I mean, if uh, if the Rangers and the Twins are fighting over who goes number four and you know those numbers get exchanged behind closed doors the twins can outbid them in every way shape and form so yeah they're um, they are fourth they're fourth they have the fourth highest bonus pool and they do have the fifth pick and their their bonus pool total is four and a half million dollars more than the texas rangers it's a really good point yeah so uh, let's say let's say the, the let's say the rangers you know everyone right now publicly is saying walker jenkins to the rangers done deal mm-hmm. he's the number four prospect it's who the rangers want yada 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 if the twins want walker jenkins the twins are getting walker jenkins like it's right. that simple if um so yeah i mean the rangers are definitely in a weird spot the jack Leiter thing hasn't gone hasn't gone well kamar rocker has looked um solid this season uh he didn't look good in the arizona fall league brock porter's looked pretty good but you know, a lot of their guys, a lot of their prospects have arrived. You know, they've got some some other pieces like Evan Carter that are on the way. But um, you kind of wonder where the Rangers go from here. Corey Seager's aging, and he's getting hurt quite a bit. Marcus Simeon is aging. Jacob DeGrom, he's already like 35, and they paid him a ton of money for five years. He's been hurt with different ailments all year. You kind of you look at their payroll and you go, how much higher can this go? Like, can they keep splashing every offseason and really try and extend this window? But the problem is, like you've kind of alluded to, they don't have the draft picks to rebuild the farm system right now. So they are kind of just like crowbarring this window open. And I do think they're going to have a competitive window for the next two or three years. But it's hard to imagine this not kind of getting a little away from them in 2026 or 2027 unless you know, the lighters and the rockers and the porters of the world really make a jump. Yeah. I look at teams that are in the middle of this, uh, uh, the middle of the round uh, or, or the lower portion of the top 10 on down through the the early twenties, maybe teams like, uh, like, I don't know, maybe like Milwaukee, um, their first pick is 18 uh, teams like Arizona uh, who, whose first pick is at 12 because I'm so unsure to be honest with you about what the the second half of the top 10 looks like. Because we've heard names like like Kyle Teal. We've heard names like Tommy Troy ending up in the top 10. Now, it wouldn't be surprising at all because that, that's what's being talked about right now. How many of these prep kids that are potential top 10 picks actually end up going in the top 10? Are we starting to, to sift through that at all? Or is it still too early to, to kind of get any sort of a feel there? Because traditionally, college guys move up as we get closer to the draft. It's a little different now because the draft is a month later, but do you expect that to happen? Do you expect like right now I've seen some mocks that don't have Troy or Teal in the top 10, but at the end of the day, those could both be top 10 picks pushing some of those other prep kids down. Yeah. I mean, and and you kind of look at the, you look at the landscape of major league baseball right now, like nobody, nobody besides Oakland maybe is, is so far out of it. Like nobody is more than two years away from some, from competing. And so they can just, you know, drop everything for a high schooler, but no, I like Walker Jenkins and Max Clark. I think, you know, if you were in Vegas and you were betting, those guys are almost sure things to go in the top 10 Mm. outside of, you know, a bombshell news report uh, coming out or something like that. Outside of that, you know, like my rankings, for example, some of it is, some of it is industry Intel and, 
what others think, but some of it's my own personal valuation. You know, there's a lot of wrinkles folded into it. Like, I think you're going to find, you're not going to find Arjun Namala at number seven on a lot of boards in a historically deep college class. I mean, I, it's mm-hmm. probably, probably makes more sense in the 10 to 15 range for a lot of people. And then you see guy, you know, the top, the top high school arm in the class, Noble Meyer, like you see him as high as 10, you see him as low as 25. And then, you know, one other guy that I think has a shot to go in the top 10 is, is Bryce Eldridge, the six foot seven inch, you know, center field, huge power up to 97 on the mound. Like that, that two way guy that just has so many avenues to a big league career. Like, I think that's the type of profile that generally kind of jumps a little bit higher than you expect, but yeah, I mean, like the Namalas of the class, the Eldridges, the Myers of the class, maybe Blake Mitchell gets thrown in there. Mm-hmm. They're generally supplanted by guys like Tommy Troy or Enrique Bradfield or or Rhett Lauder, guys that have some floor that should move pretty quick and have proven it against upper tier competition. Really quick before we move on from uh, from the draft, uh, Bryce Eldridge, the right hand pitcher slash outfielder slash first base. First of all, what are his chances to play the outfield? just in general, like it seems like he is athletic enough to stick in a corner or, or do you expect him because he's so big and long just to kind of, you know, physically mature his way out of there and end up at first base. That's a great question. Um, I, I, you know, I think he can play a corner. He's not at, you know, the, the Spencer Jones comparisons from Vanderbilt are, are so six foot seven inch left-handed hitting outfielder. Like he's not the athlete in center field that Spencer Jones is. Spencer Jones is a double plus arm plus runner. Like that's not, that's not the same guy. I do think Eldridge's bat at this stage is in a better place than where Spencer Jones's bat was in 2021 as a prep or 2020 as a prep. Now, all that being said, I do think that, you know, I would take a little bit of the bat. Let's put it this way. The bat is definitely good enough to continue to play two way or just to be an offensive player and ditch the mound, which I don't think is going to happen because he's up to 98 with a really killer change up and a slider. Um, Do I think he's athletic enough to play a corner? Yeah, I mean, uh, for now, you know, he's 225 pounds. Mm-hmm. We'll see what he looks like as a as a 23-year-old. But kind of where do you fall on, like, I don't know, man. This I always struggle with this, especially with an 18-year-old. Like, where do you fall on the two-way guy? Because I think Otani has kind of gotten us a little drunk on how hard this thing actually is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, look at what Brendan McKay did. Like, it's this. people don't do this. Human beings don't do this. Mm. Brendan McKay was absolutely incredible in college from both sides, from, from, uh, from the plate and, and on the mound. I thought he was more of a, more of an arm. I I really leaned that way pretty heavily on McKay, but I I like when when you look at a a high school kid too, like, like Eldridge, which we haven't really seen a whole lot of that A high school kid that has that much uh, momentum from, from both sides. Uh, I think you, the way I would approach this is I would, I would lean on one and say, okay, here's what we, here's what we think he is in his weaker, you know, we think he's a, he's more of a bat than an arm. Just for example, here's what we think he is as an arm. Would we draft that in the top 10 and leave out the possibility of him having uh, value on both sides? Because, you know, the odds are so stacked against him to be, to be a hitter. And even if he's a, 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 an everyday first baseman or a platoon first baseman and a relief pitcher, like the odds are, the odds are so stacked against the guy doing that. And we're talking about a 17, 18 year old kid right now that I would just pick the thing that I think he's best at, that he projects best at, which may be his bat and say, where would I take him? And then just think of the chances that he also gives you value on the mound 
as a little bit of a bonus. And that probably means somebody else is going to take him before I do. Like, I don't yeah. know, in, in, unless I'm the A's, because I have time. Unless I'm the A's, I think I probably don't take Eldridge in the top 15 or 20. Just based yeah. on the profile that I'm, that I'm reading. This isn't based off live looks, but yeah. If he's a, you know, f- average, fringe average corner outfielder, uh, even if he's a big bat, probably ends up at first base, potential on the mound. A little, I'm just thinking about him as a bat. And I'm thinking, all right, you get outside the top 15 or 20, maybe this is a guy that makes some sense. But I have to really believe in one of those at least. Otherwise, mm-hmm. I'm not taking him in the first, to be honest with you. I got to really yeah, me, like one of them. Let me throw out just another, like, history lesson like Bubba Chandler was the mm-hmm. Pirates third round pick in 2021 and frankly he was a top 25 prospect in that class but the Pirates had so much money in that class that they dragged him down to the third round you can mm-hmm. bet your ass that that was planned out you know before the draft <laughs> otherwise mm-hmm. someone would have taken him earlier um, right. two-way guy shortstop up to 95 on the mound with a huge breaking ball almost immediately was pulled off of the field and started yep. pitching full-time. Yep. You go back to 2020, one of the top prospects in baseball right now, Mason Wynn for the Cardinals, six-foot mm-hmm. righty, crazy, 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 crazy athlete. One of my favorite uh, prospects in baseball right now. So yep. fun. Uh, up to 98 in high school. Huge 84-mile-an-hour slider. Nasty. Pulled off the mound immediately. Too mm-hmm. talented, too twitchy. We're putting him at shortstop. That's where he's going to play. One other one, Jared Jones. Four pitch righty, six foot two, uh, 2020 second or third round pick by the Pirates. I'm trying to remember. Crazy talented at shortstop, immediately pulled off. You're pitching. So, like, I think if 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 we're just going off of history, and if you want to eliminate McKay because he's it's it hasn't worked, Otani stands so alone. It's such an unprecedented player. That I think I think you're right, man. I think you just say, what is Bryce Eldridge to us? We give him two or three months after he's drafted. We give him, you know, August, September, and maybe some time in Arizona or Florida after the uh, after the season to figure out what this is, and then you kind of just set him on a path. Because, frankly, how many teams are even equipped to put together a player development plan with two separate paths? I mean, for a teenager, like it's just. It's and how do you much. weigh that out too? And how do you weigh that out? How much time do we spend? There's only so much time in a day. There's only so many days in a week, weeks in a, in a year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How much can he work on his pitching and work on his hitting at the same time? Otani's if, a unicorn. If you think we he's a bat. That. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. like if you think he's a bat, aren't you doing your team and, and Bryce a little bit of a disservice to only be able to work with him on his swing three days a week? Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, you could probably work with seven. him on the mound on a, fairly regular basis but mm-hmm. he can't be in the cages and he can't be hitting live pitching if he's pitching every five or six days so yeah like right. it's tough man. i was just gonna say how different is bryce eldridge from some of those other examples you just gave because it sounds to me like if you're gonna lean one way on eldridge it is the bat where those other guys um like jones clearly gonna lead toward the mound chandler clearly gonna lead toward the mound now win is the other one where maybe size had something to do with that um, and, and they'll go back to the mound if they have to, if wind's not going to hit, I know he's not really performing so far this year, but he's actually been okay in, in high a and double a, uh, the last couple of years, or at least last season. So you like the progress there and you can always go back to as kind of a last ditch effort to get value out of that pick. If he doesn't hit, uh, at the big league level, but with Eldridge, 
you know, he might be, you know, the, the one major exception there where you're just leaning so heavily on the bat rather than leaning heavily on the arm, like with Bubba Chandler, like with Jones. Um, right. He's a little right. different in that way. I think the thing that makes it tough is he's six foot seven with a 70 grade raw power carrying tool and mm. a 98 mile an hour fastball. So like he looks like a pitcher, really he loud tools, throws yeah. like a pitcher. He has the athleticism and repeatability to look like a starting pitcher, but then the 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 physicality at the plate is so projectable and his track record of hitting good arms is so it, it's so long like with the other guys it was a little bit easier because you know they, they were six footers like this is not you know it's a lot easier to just pick a path but I don't, like last year last year the Braves in the second round took Spencer Schwellenbach who was a mm-hmm. who was a pitcher yeah, and a shortstop from Nebraska yeah Nebraska, yeah but yeah. But he profiles as a reliever, so like that's another one where you could you could do both ways. But yeah, man, like I don't like I I think he's gonna go. I think Eldridge is gonna go really high, mm. and I think whoever picks him has to be fully convinced that they've got a plan for him. And if it's only like if he's only pitching, then he probably falls a little bit. But if it's if it, if someone truly believes in the two way upside, I think he goes in the top. 12 top 15 picks because mm-hmm. there's is, not is many there, guys like it is there a team in the top i don't know we'll go to 15 16 or so is there somebody that stands out to you at all at this point as being oh know, yeah like that there are hints that they're equipped to handle that situation you were just talking about because oh, yeah. i look at teams like at, at 9 10 11 there's like colorado that that does that's not a team that strikes me the, uh miami the angels arizona um Arizona might might be one. Keep going. Give yeah, me four the more. The Cubs, the Red nope. Sox, nope. The White Sox, maybe, but probably nope. Yep. Uh, the Giants. There you go. Yeah. I mean, they took Reggie Crawford last year, mm-hmm. and by all accounts, you know, he's been hitting. Uh, University of UConn, like he blew out his draft eligible year, so he didn't pitch. Um, big bat, big power. Nobody really loved the bat as much as the arm, but lefty or through 101 mm-hmm. and they, they, you know, they toyed with him a little bit hitting. He, he did some hitting uh, on, on the backfields and um, you know, down in, down in Arizona, like an exhibition stuff, but now he's on the mound, you know, he's on the mound full time. The guy throws a 91 mile an hour slider and he's up to 101. The giants are a progressive organization who have tackled this exact narrative before um, they're equipped to do it. You know, and you you keep going like Tampa's probably in some way, shape, or form equipped to do it. And you go to the Cardinals and Seattle, but I just you know he's so talented in both facets of his game that I have a hard time seeing him actually make it to Tampa at 19 and, and a team in the top 18 not seeing a one way path where he's the most productive player in the draft. Right. We are talking about it. We are talking about a left handed bat, correct? Yes a left-handed power bat like that doesn't typically fall uh very far although we did see cam collier who's a different player we did see him yeah, fall very different body and, too and 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 maybe that was a little weird to some <laughs> uh some people in particular um that shall remain nameless for now uh we will absolutely have that conversation on this show um one more drafting uh, and then we're going to move on. We're going to do a buy and sell segment. We're about 20% into the season. I think it's a good time to uh, start talking about some of the things that have happened at the major league level. Is there an organization outside of the Rangers? Maybe 
is there an organization that is in a position where if they miss in this draft that you really start to wonder where their winning window goes or whether it comes anytime soon or not? Uh, to be honest with you, the Giants is the first team I think about. It's I don't really understand what they're trying to do. They ran on Aaron Judge. They had Carlos Correa until they didn't like the uh, uh, the physical results. They signed veterans. They signed Mitch Hanniger. They signed Michael Conforto. They're the Alex Cobb, uh, Anthony DeSclafani, Alex Wood group uh, beneath Logan Webb in their rotation, and they've done pretty well with that. But that's not a good team right now, and it seems like they're just okay taking that shot. You know, like. Okay, yeah. this works out really well. This is the uh, this is the uh, being from Seattle. Uh, I'm very familiar with uh, the Mariners' former team president that was let go a couple of years ago because he's an idiot. Um, going on the air at one point and saying, "Hey, here's our goal: we want to win 83, 85, 87 games, and then every once in a while we want to pop and get the 91 and make the postseason." That seems like what the Giants are trying to do, and I just feel like if you're going to do that. You cannot fail in the draft, right? Am I right? Yeah, no, I think you're. I think you're spot on. That that's not the team that I have circled, but I think, I think you make a really good point. That the team that I have circled, and you know, we might see some turnover here in the first place. Uh, the Boston Red Sox. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. You know, they picked 14 this year. They had the number one pick a couple of years ago. They take Marcelo Meyer. He's been good, mm-hmm. but you know the team doesn't have the ammunition at the big league level right now to compete. And I think that's a fair, I think that's a fair statement for anyone that's listening. I don't think you can look at the Boston Red Sox, that roster, put it next to Tampa, put it next to Toronto, put it next to New York and think this is one of the top three teams. Hell put it next to Baltimore, of course, and and say, this is one of the top three, let alone top four teams in, uh, in the division. And when you don't have the, ammunition at the big league level and you look at the farm and they have next to nothing uh, in terms of reinforcements Mm -hmm. available this year like next to nothing they've gone so high school heavy over the last few years with roman anthony and nick york mikey romero marcelo meyer they're they're just so far off and those guys haven't all produced yet so Mm -hmm. you know this is a really good year for college bats and I think if you're the Boston Red Sox and you're Heim Bloom specifically and you want to keep that job through, you know, the winter of 2024, you're going to have to have some guys that are at the doorstep to compete at the end of 2024 because I just don't see and listen, I'm not, I'm not calling for anyone's job. I would never call for anyone's job, but I just don't see how if the Red Sox finish in 5th in the AL East in 2024, he is around for 2025. So I think this is a right. huge year for them. Right. Yeah. That might mean they're hoping names like Kyle Teal might be a pipe dream. Um, Tommy Troy might be a pipe dream at the end of the day, or Brock Wilkin or Matt Shaw, those college bats you're talking about. Um, maybe even uh, maybe the Florida Chase Atlantic Davis. kid. Yeah. Uh, the Arizona kid. Absolutely. Might, they might be looking at something like that, but they also don't have arms either. So they could go, nope. they could go either way. I just say, I think you're dead on there that, that maybe going the college and one, route and a draft pretty good for it is the way to go. Yeah. And another, like the, the, the Red Sox, the market doesn't allow them competitive balance picks. Like they, they don't right. get compensatory picks. Right. So they're not spending money the right way. The team on the field isn't good enough. So, you know, they pick at 14, they pick at 50, they get nothing. They get nothing in the middle there in terms of compensation. Then they pick again at, at 83. So it's going to be a big year for them. 
Yeah, when you look at that team right now at the big league level, offensively, they're fine. They're one of the top five to seven offensive teams, at least so far. Um, Masataka Yoshida has started it. Rafael Devers is back. Yeah, they let Xander Bogarts go. Alex Verdugo's having a pretty good year. Like, you could see them competing with the current lineup. But, yeah, you know, their, their top picks from, from the last couple of years are one to four years away. They got to get yeah. something going. Yeah. They got to go buy some players to be honest. It's Jason, Boston, do you know? Uh, listen, I, I think you know, you and I both came up in like prospect evaluation. Like, mm-hmm. a lot of people might not know this about us, but like for me, I know I'm known for the draft on online. I came up doing big league and minor league prospect right. coverage. Pro like, that's kind of yeah. my bread and butter. And you've been doing it way longer than I have. Do you know who Chris Murphy is? Unfortunately, <laughs> I don't even know. I'll, I'll be straight with you guys i don't know who chris murphy is and he if you if you call brian mata which i'm going to do for the sake of this exercise brian mata is a big leaguer for the red Sox. he for the sake of this argument he's not a prospect he's got time at the big league level yada 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 or he's close the next two guys available for the boston red Sox right now are a 26 year old brandon walter who i am quite familiar with he's actually got a pretty good little repertoire of pitches and slider's really good Brandon Walter and Chris Murphy. And then you got to go, I mean, by our rankings, you got to go down to like Dalton Rogers, who was a senior sign draft pick this past year. So they just, they don't have anything in terms of pitching on the horizon. And the unfortunate part of this is the Red Sox have next to nothing presently on the big league field in terms of pitching. So they're in a weird place of like, you know, do we kind of tear this thing down and, and try and acquire some pitching or, you know, try and keep the window open? I, you know, it's not a good time to be a, uh, a fan, I guess, of the Red Sox. Yeah. They currently, depending on which metric you like, the Boston Red Sox are one of the three or four worst pitching staffs in all of baseball. If you're a standard ERA guy, um, they're running out an ERA right now of 607. Uh, they're running out of FIP uh, in the, in, in the five, four range. Uh, the XFIP's a little bit better, but uh, that's just generally how it rolls. They're still one of the the three to five worst pitching staffs in baseball, and that is inexcusable through the Boston Red Sox. What do that? What does that ownership really care about at the end of the day? Is probably the bigger question, and one that uh, I, I can't answer. Or I guess we're gonna have to wait and see. Do no. they actually? And it's not, want let's to win let's in not Boston? act like. Let's not act like their payroll is peanuts. Like let's sure. not let's not act like they're taking a step back. They're still pumping out a pretty good payroll. So, um, so it's more it's a matter a of they're not spending like, it the right way. You say that their offense is in a good place, which it is. But mm-hmm. if this thing isn't working, it's hard to imagine the Boston Red Sox not trying to move Alex Verdugo and mm-hmm. some of these bats that actually have value on the market. So, I mean, they're towing a weird line right now. They definitely are. The draft is always a good place to start. I said something several years ago, and I was uh, over at ESPN working under Keith Law um, that I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pump up a little bit. I, I love thinking about the draft this way. If you are a major league baseball team, I don't care if you're the best team in baseball or you're the worst team in baseball. I don't care if you spend three hundred and fifty, five hundred million dollars a year on payroll, or if you spend seventy million dollars a year on payroll. The draft itself is an opportunity for your organization to make up ground on. Everybody else, if you win that draft, if you're the Boston Red Sox and you win that draft and you 
you you do significantly better. You make inroads against the Yankees, against the Orioles, against the Rays, against the Blue Jays. Ultimately, that's going to start showing up at the big league level. It is an opportunity every single year for clubs to do that. And it's the most efficient way to add talent to your organization. I wish all teams treated it that way, even with the bonus pools and, and things like that that's been around for, I don't know, maybe 13, 14 years now. Teams generally don't look at it that way. They still look like like owners anyway. Look like the look at the draft like it's some sort of a burden. Oh man, I got to pay this this third rounder nine hundred grand. Are you kidding me? Seriously? And they don't see it as an opportunity to get kids at the big. It's the equivalent, Joe. We've seen this around the league. It's the equivalent sometimes of that quarterback in the NFL on a rookie deal. If you draft, sign internationally, and develop your players, it gives you the opportunity to not have to spend as much at the big league level. You can win without spending $300 million on payroll, and some owners just don't see it. So, ah, you know. Anyway, Boston, such a weird, weird situation. They're not a good one either. That's certainly not a good word. All right, let's uh, let's play a little game of of buy and sell, Joe. These are going to be uh, teams and players – uh, that are off to good or bad starts. And you tell me whether you're buying it or selling it. Do you believe that the start is at least somewhat legitimate or do you think, nah, like absolutely not. I expect this to fall apart at some particular point. So let's start with the pirates who entering Thursday, I believe were 20 and 12, which is about 20% through the season. Are you buying the pirates? And, and I'll qualify this one a little bit. Because winning 20 out of every 32 games isn't really what I mean because I don't think anybody buys that's going to happen. Are the Pirates a different and significantly better team than they were a year ago? So I think, and talking to some different people in the industry, I think in the clubhouse they are, without question. It's it's not a defeatist attitude. I, I had uh, Jason Mackey of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette on my podcast last last week, and I talked to him a little bit about how it feels and obviously winning is going to make everything feel a lot better. But when you have Carlos Santana, when you have Andrew McCutcheon, when you kind of have those like industry staples and guys that are just like 80 grade human beings in the clubhouse, I think it does raise the floor a little bit. You know, the dog days don't seem quite as long. So for that, in that respect, I think that they're going to be able to avoid prolonged, horrible slumps. That being said, um, can I dive into specific players here? Let's do it. <laughs> Connor Joe is not going to be a 170 OPS guy. Oh, come on. Come on, Joe. Boyle. This Joe. is your dude. I, He's your namesake. Nope. 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 I, right. I love a good San Diego product, but uh, no. <laughs> it's, it's, listen, it's Connor Joe has some prospect pedigree. He's never been this player in the past. Like, mm-hmm. it's going to slow down. Jack Sawinski, maybe, you know, he was actually pretty impressive last year when he came up as a unheralded guy, but you got guys like Rodolfo Castro that are hitting, you know, 300 with an 815 OPS. He's never been a hitter ish type of guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think like the offense is going to hit. Like I think McCutcheon and Santana, like they're big hit guys. Brian Reynolds signed the the worst deal in the history of the major league players association. <laughs> wait, wait, wait a second. Ago. Wait a second. Worse than Ozzy Albies. Yes, worse than Ozzy Albies. Really? Brian Reynolds has four years of experience under his belt, and he signed that deal. Oh, Ozzy Albies was at least a reasonably green player. I, but Ozzy Albies took, is writing checks every week to the Atlanta Braves. 
<laughs> That's what it feels like. Well, hey, man, I mean, listen, Ozzy Albies had barely been in the league when he signed. Brian Reynolds yeah. was two years away from being a free agent. He accepted $15 million a year for his three or four free agent years. Like, just yeah, that was the, the worst. Anyways, <laughs> don't have to so get t- into that. Tell but... me, away from the offense, do you buy Mitch Keller yeah. at this point? Because I think when you look at Mitch Keller from a raw standpoint, the right-hander who's made seven starts mm-hmm. has been very, very good for them at this point and and just about every runs allowed metric you can look at. He's been good. He's missing bats. He's throwing strikes. He's always had the stuff, right? We've looked at, you know, uh, Hey, what is this guy? He's always been the internet darling. He's always been the guy that everyone's waited for. And now he's doing it. Do you buy that a little bit at least? I mean, I kind of want to throw that one to you. I covered the offense. So like you've, I know you've watched some of his stuff. He's 27 years old. Like he's, he's checking every box right now. Do you buy it? Uh, let me say this. I buy him as a number three. He's pitching like a okay. two or a one at, at some points at this part. I, I, at this point I buy it. Like it's so drastically different. I know he came up in, in what, 2019, I think it was and, and made 10 or 11 starts and was very, very good. And it was like a 28, 29% strikeout guy, 7% walk missing bats, 12%, not going to be a big ground ball guy. So you want him missing bats. You want him pounding the zone. And now he's back to that after three years and about 60 starts of being anything but that. So I don't know what changed there. So without knowing, like, what is he doing specifically differently? Not which pitches is he throwing more, but is he, is it a pitch grip? Did he add a pitch? Is there something significantly bigger and better in his delivery? Without knowing that I'll buy mid rotation. I'll buy number three, good number three, but it's hard for me to go beyond it because it's just 40 and uh, looks like 40 and two thirds. But he's been very, very good. We know he has the stuff. We know he throws hard. We know he has the pitches. We know he has a breaking ball. We know he can do things and mix it up, throwing a cutter, uh, up to 97, 98 miles an hour. Uh, I would really like, I, I think about guys like this. Would would I like him in a three-inning relief role? Yes. Does he need to be in a three-inning relief role? No. That tells me he can be a mid-rotation guy because of the way I think about pitching. If you're a four or a five, I might value you more as a three-inning reliever I can use twice a week instead of a pitcher I can use for five or six innings every five or six days. So, yeah, I'm a rotation guy on uh, on Keller, so... I like that. There's still not a I lot like of pitching it. there. And it doesn't sound Joe, like, uh, uh, like Pittsburgh is going to do anything except Dylan Cruz, take Dylan Cruz at the top of the draft. So they're going to have to find right. more pitching, uh, another way. And they didn't trade Brian Reynolds for it. So I don't know where they're going to get their, their pitching to get more Mitch Kellers in there. And Mitch Keller only has what, two years left after this season. I think it is. Yeah. So before. three, if you include this year, it's, it's three years and Mitch Keller breaking out and, and the Pittsburgh pirates like winning right now mm-hmm. is I know this seems like the most redundant thing you've ever heard, but it's the best thing that could have happened to Pittsburgh. Like they needed a guy that, I mean, a month ago it was, so Mitch Keller is going to get traded at the deadline, right? Like he's going to be right. the next Garrett Cole. It still might happen. Like that anymore. It still, still might happen, happen, but it would take yeah. a pretty catastrophic, you know, falling apart of the Pittsburgh pirates. I look at it this way in terms of going back to your, your first question. I believe in Mitch Keller. I think Ronzi Contreras could be a, a pretty good little piece, although he's outperforming, you know, all of his metrics right now. My issue is I don't think they have anything of substance in their bullpen outside of David Bednar. I mean, yeah. these guys, these guys are pitching to ERA pluses right now that is through the roof, and hardly any of them are striking anybody out. So it does look like this is a bit of an example of, of Babip luck. I mean, they do have a guy named uh, Dory Moreta who's got 18 strikeouts and in 13 innings. That's like the Matt Brash of Pittsburgh, which is pretty mm-hmm. crazy. But 
it's just like like they've they've pitched Chase DeYoung six innings. Like right. yeah. I just I, I think there's there's obviously going to be some regression here, but the biggest takeaway for me with Pittsburgh is they've got veteran leadership who genuinely care about not only the city, but the 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 nurturing of young players and, and getting them to their potential. So yeah, I think listen, I, I still don't think this is gonna be a team that wins more than eight like like seventy-five games. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're going to be interesting to talk about through like the all-star break. Their new projection at Fangraphs is to finish 500. So you're right. You're right in that range, give or take. Um, let's move yeah, on. Especially from with injuries, man. Like if Rich Hill goes down, like Vince Velasquez just went down with elbow pain. He got pulled for there's, today's game. And there's no today's game. There's yeah. nothing, you know, there's not a lot that's uh, waiting in the wings. So they've got a, you know, they're walking a, a tight line. The Tampa Bay Rays are, Insane. 26 and six through their first 32 games. They're of course not going to keep up that pace, but this is the best team in the American league East, right? Maybe the best team in the American league. I think so. Like the <laughs> where, second where best team in the American holes? league might be in that division too. You know what I want to poke holes at is every single person on the internet and on television that seemed to go into every year going, I don't think this team is deep enough. I don't think this team is, you know, got star power. It's like, mm-hmm. They win 95 games in their sleep every year with some out like the outlier years are when they win 78 games. Right. Um, I mean, there's some, they guy, are like, the, they, I'll put it this way. The, the Tampa Bay Rays are the Shohei Otani of teams. They are a unicorn. Yeah. I, I make fun of this all the time. There are, there are organizations out there trying to replicate what the Tampa Bay Rays do. And it is a losing situation. And that is a losing proposition. Do not try to be the Tampa Bay Rays. Don't do it. Owners are out there trying to do it because you don't have to spend money and you still win. And if you're in a bigger market, like the White Sox, for example, you make tons of money when you win 95 games to go to the playoffs uh, and, and don't spend a ton of money. Whereas the Rays, yeah, they're still making money, but it's not as big as it would be in Chicago, except the Rays are different. They are just built different. They handle things differently. They do things differently. They're unique. Uh, do not try to be the Tampa Bay Rays, but 26 and six, uh, of course I'm not buying that, but this is a 95 plus win team though, right? Like there's like injuries, pretty much the only thing that can derail them here. And they've already had some and weathered them. I mean, I kind of look at the AL. I I always look at these situations and I'm like, what's the cannibalism going to look like? Mm -hmm. Uh, The Yankees don't look like they're very good and they're aging. They're brittle. Like it's been the Yankees for the last three years. Yeah. Uh, they don't look like they're a team that's going to win more than 90 games, in my opinion. I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. I'll probably end up being wrong. But You're around 500 um, right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like they look like an 88, 89, like wild card one or two kind of team. Um, Baltimore fair. looks drastically improved, and mm-hmm. that bullpen is hellish. But I still think they're a batter too short, and Jorge Mateo is playing out of his mind. Um, and that's okay. not going to continue. So that's the next yeah. team on the list. Do you buy the Orioles as a 90-plus win team? They're 21 and 10. At this big little point, right after I hit record, I was like, what's their record? 21 and 10, 21 out of 31 for the very young Baltimore Orioles. I don't know, man. I kind of want your, like, I still don't know if this team has the, the rotation and like the, the offensive pieces five through nine Mm. to really go on like extended splashy rolls. Mm. Um, but like Kyle, like I don't know, man. Grayson Rodriguez, like you need, you're really relying on Grayson Rodriguez to be, to a be horse. the guy, yeah, yeah, to be a whore. And like Dean Kramer's got to be what he has been. So, like I still think they're probably they're better than last year. I'll give them that. Like mm-hmm. I still think they're, I think they're kind of on that 
90 win uh like verge bubble but what do you like where are you at that's a tough one for me the rotation is where i start with every club every single club even the rays who again are that unicorn and they handle things quite a bit differently you can't just look and go well i don't recognize any of these names so they're not going to be any good you can't do that especially with the tampa bay Rays. but that's where i start with everybody because if you don't have depth at the starting and i don't just mean enough arms to handle innings i mean you need impact at one impact at two impact at three, maybe some impact at four, but at least consistency in the four and five spots with guys in the six, seven, eight, nine, ten spots to back up, you know, whether if there's going to be injuries and not actually go out there and, and lose games for you. If, if you're six, seven, eight, nine, ten guys that are down in AAA or sitting in your bullpen to start the season, if they can keep you in games and you win some of the games they start while guys are getting healthy, you're in a pretty good spot. I don't think the Orioles have that. I don't think there's any question they do not have that at this particular point. That's why I loved the the Cole Irvin get even. You know, he's a five and and Kyle Gibson is a four, but I loved those gets because it gave them two spots in their rotation to start the year and gave them a little bit of depth. But you're right. If Grayson Rodriguez isn't an absolute 160 plus inning horse with number one, number two impact consistently all year long, they have absolutely no shot to keep up this pace. Um, and I don't think he can do that. And I think they're going to have to be careful with him as well. He's just a kid. Um, not big on the right. That, that bullpen though, dude, like this is, this might be one of the best bullpens in, in, you know, maybe not the best bullpen, but like three or four of these pieces that Yenier Cano, Cano guy. Mm-hmm. He's nasty. I mean, yeah. 12 innings, 13 strikeouts, a single hit. He looks like what Devin Williams was in 2020. Mm-hmm. Kind of just that real outlier pitch. Devin Hall is, uh, an, an asset from the left side doesn't know where it's going, but he'll strike out guys, you know, on the regular at, at Felix Batista. We know Felix Batista, Brian Baker has been disgusting. Um, like, I think if this, I think this offense is going to score enough runs, plenty of runs, Austin mm-hmm. Hayes, Rutschman, Mateo Mullins, Mount Cal- like, and Gunnar Henderson hasn't even gotten it going yet, but they've got some, some pieces there. I think if they can take enough games into the sixth inning where it's like six to four, they're going to be like the Seattle Mariners of 2022 where they go, you know, 31 and 16 in one run games and they make the playoffs. This is a team that needs to go out and grab a number two, number three starter during the season. They go out and do that. And I'm going to throw out a name because Joe and I, you have talked about this name. Eduardo Rodriguez is a perfect fit. I'm not sure they love him. I like him. You throw him behind Grayson Rodriguez or, or, uh, in front of a Dean Kramer, whatever you want to do to mix that rotation up, you get a left-hander in, left-hander in there that can really pitch and give you good, solid six innings just about every time out. That's the kind of guy they need to do what they're looking to do this year. He he may opt out at the end of the season. He's probably going to opt out at the end of the season. But if you look at him as a rental, I could see Baltimore going out and doing that. I love it. Yeah, but one one starting pitcher. I mean, you give them a Giolito, you give them a and Eduardo Rodriguez, like you give them a legitimate two. And I think you kind of have to lump them in with the Toronto's and, and the, and the Tampa's as the AL contenders. Yeah, absolutely. The real Uh, contenders. One team that has not started the season. We're going to move to, uh, to, to a couple of players after this, but (laughs) as we finish up, but one team that is not off uh, to a good start at all, Joe is, uh, 
is the St. Louis Cars. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of clubs that are off to good starts, but nobody expected Oakland to do anything. They're six and twenty-six. Kansas City's eight and twenty-four. The White Sox is a little bit surprising at ten and twenty-two, but not entirely. Certainly not surprising as the St. Louis Cardinals winning ten of their first thirty-two games and already sitting ten games back of the Pittsburgh Pirates in the National League Central. Are you buying or selling the Cardinals as a mediocre to bad ball club in 2023? I'm selling it, man. I mean, as much as I think it would be interesting to see the Cardinals be a seller at the deadline because they have so many, and you and I have talked about this, they have so many interesting pieces on expiring deals and, um, you know, just kind of household names, if you will, Mm -hmm. like, I go to baseball reference and and their Pythagorean win loss right now is 14 and 17. So they have clearly been on the wrong side of luck lately. Mm-hmm. And, and the guys like, we don't have to talk about their offense, right? I mean, Contreras, Goldschmidt, Arenado, they're going to be fine. Uh, Edmund, like they can hit Brendan mm-hmm. Donovan can hit like these guys can really hit. I look at their, I look at their rotation and man, they should be better than what they've been with Michaelis Flaherty, and Matt's. I know that Jordan Montgomery and Jake Woodford aren't the best options, but this is not Montgomery's a 10 and 22. Good, yeah, exactly. This is not a 10 and 22 ball right. club. So um, they're one in five, Joe, in one run games. I'm not sure that really tells us anything. The bullpen has actually been fine, more than fine, mm-hmm. uh, but one in five in one run games, and they've lost nine of 10 heading into the weekend. That is, that is insane. Like nine of 10. They can't do anything right right now. They're blowing leads that you and I feel like we could go out and they're up six to one. And all of a sudden you turn around and two innings later, it's eight, six. And, and you put that onus back on Arenado and back on Goldschmidt and, and, and back on that offense. I, I wouldn't call that offense a juggernaut. We both think the offense is going to be totally fine, but that's not an offense. You can put that kind of pressure on. I'm not sure there's an offense in baseball. You could put that kind of pressure on that starting rotation. Absolutely has to figure it out. No, it doesn't. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, they have a. They're fielding the ball fine. It's like a nine ninety fielding percentage. I think that's right on the verge of being a top ten defense in the league. I don't have those numbers pulled up, but they've got too much. They've got too much talent at like Helsley and Gallegos and Hicks. Like Genesis Cabrera has been really good for a couple years. Like they have too much talent for it to look like this. And frankly, when I look at the rotation, when I look at Montgomery. And Flaherty, Flaherty has an ERA of four with uh, an enormous blow-up start in there. Mm-hmm. I don't really understand how this team has lost the amount of games that they have. I, I think they're gonna, I think they're gonna come back to earth a little bit, especially playing uh, in their division. It's not a particularly good division. Um, it's just one of those things where, like, if it's not one thing, it's the other, and that's baseball sometimes. Yeah, they they have done a pretty good job, despite the fact that their starters have not pitched well of keeping the pressure, the extra pressure off their bullpen. Their bullpen is uh, eighth, the eighth fewest innings covered at this point. So at least there's that. If you're looking for a silver lining, you have Arenado in St. Louis. You have Paul Goldschmidt. Uh, you've won before. Uh, you have a long tradition of winning. Uh, the front office is still in, 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 uh, in play. They know what they seem to know what they're doing. And the bullpen is in fine shape. They're fine. They're not being overworked yeah. at this point. It seems like there's really one thing they need to figure out. It happens to be the most important thing. And, and you know, I'll add one last thing to that. This is one of the most well-equipped teams to handle injuries. They're not even injured. Like this team right. is healthy, but they've got, and you know, mix and match your lineups however you want, but they've got Tyler O'Neill, Lars Nupar, Paul DeYoung, Juan Yepes. Like 
they've got options on the bench that can cover most positions. And for some reason, it's just, it's, it's just not clicking right now. Uh, let's move on to some players. Uh, Matt Chapman was a really fun player to watch in Oakland. He gets traded. Uh, he gets hurt. He has a 36 homer a year in 2019. He gets hurt. Uh, 2020 was a weird year for a lot of people, but he did hit for power that year. Uh, 2021 in Oakland is last year with the A's at age 28. He played 151 games, so he was healthy. Didn't really hit. He did hit for power, but he was pretty much an average bat at third base with the big-time defense. And then he basically took that a step forward in 2022 with Toronto. But what he's done this season with the Blue Jays at age 30 is absolutely rake. He has a WRC plus over 200. He's hitting 360, 450, 640 with five home runs, the best contact rates of his entire career, the lowest swinging strike rates of his entire career. And he's at 11% walks, which is pretty much in line with his career. The interesting thing when you look at the batted ball data on Matt Chapman, not pulling the ball as much. I don't know if that's the key, but he's not pulling the ball as much. And he's finding the barrel. He has a hard hit rate over 67%, which is not sustainable. But is Matt Chapman back to his 2018-2019 levels? Or are you selling on Matt Chapman in that form? He's a five and six player those years. I mean, it depends on what you're selling. Like there are some obvious numbers here that are due for regression. Like the guy's running a 460 BABIP. Like Mm -hmm. he's actually always been kind of a lower BABIP guy, but he's running a 460 BABIP. Now that'll happen when you're hitting the ball on average 95, over 95 miles an hour. So Mm -hmm. he's hitting the ball harder than that. Yep. Yeah, by, by like two or three miles an hour. Like it's substantial. So like the barrels are very high. He's swinging at the right pitches. He's using the whole field. Um, and subsequently, he's seeing that BABIP fly up. Um, like this looks can, like a can totally... Can he go 280, 360, 520 again? Oh, I think so. Okay. I think so. So you're, so you're buying. The way, the way that I presented that, you're buying. I don't think mm-hmm. I am. I don't think I'm buying. Okay. I think I think Chapman's more of a... A 240, you know, 330 kind of guy. Basically, more what he did in 2019 without the 36 home runs. I don't think anybody thinks he's going to hit 36 home runs. He's only got five right now, which is fine. I just don't think he's, I think he's more of a slugger than either. So I'm going to sell on Chapman. How about James Outman? James Outman, the rookie. It's a 25 year old rookie, left handed hitting outfielder. Um, pretty good athlete, off to a pretty good start. Uh, 290, 382, 598, seven home runs. But Joey's running a little bit of a, which we expected, he's striking out a third of the time at the play, and he's really relying on a walk rate that, at the big league level anyway, I'm not sure is realistic at 11.5%. Are you buying or selling James Outman as a 4-5 win rookie for the Los Angeles Dodgers? Yeah, I'm definitely selling it. I mean, the first thing, you kind of already pointed to it. Like, the first thing that I look for in these guys, uh, first of all, he's 25. He's, He's always run a high walk rate, which is good. I mean, he's still running a high walk rate. Granted, all through his minor league career, that points to you know positive developments, positive things here. His career high in home runs is 19, and he did it as a what a 20 year old at a ball. Right. So like, I don't think this guy is going to be the power hitter that he's shown. But yeah, I mean, he's striking out a third of the time. Another guy that's running an obscenely high BABIP, 407. Um, that's due for regression mm-hmm. and when you kind of look at his batted ball data, like he's not his, like he's not hitting the ball terribly harder than he ever has. I mean, his average is 89.6 his max is 110. So 
nothing about that points to a guy that has either unlocked something in his swing that's you know causing him to find more barrels or anything like that. He's hit seven home runs, which is and he did it very very quickly, uh, which is going to drive up the numbers. It's going to drive up the expected uh, value and impact. But ultimately, I think the thing that you got to look at with this guy, a guy that has had a strikeout rate over twenty five percent at every single level for his entire career. I think you look at that strikeout rate. I think you look at the BABIP, especially in the context of uh, the fact that he's not hitting the ball hard. And you just kind of think, you know, I think this guy is probably still ultimately going to settle in as a fourth outfielder, but um, he's certainly earned more playing time. And I got to ask you, as a a guy that's been covering prospects long enough, what do you think of the 26-year-old outfielder who finally sees it click like these guys yeah, more often than not fizzle out yeah that, that's a tough one for me because there's usually i don't want to call it a gimmick but there's usually a reason for it like he's ambushing fastballs or um he's figured out one thing and it just takes a couple of months for the league to go oh you figured out the uh you know the change up away you figured that out but can you hit my curveball when i when i drop it back door uh, after coming hard with 95, can you do that? Like, that's the thing. I think the same way about the shift stuff, Joe, like everybody's like, Oh, like, like Joey Gallo's like, he's hitting more now. That ain't cause of the shift. The guy's like got a, uh, guy slugging 700 because he's hitting the ball in the air, an astronomical amount. This ain't about the shift. Like, I think the same thing you have to adjust guys like that will get pitched differently because the shift isn't there. It's the same thing with guys like Outman. I do think he's pretty good. Like, I just don't think he's 163 WRC plus good. I don't think he's 60% above average. I think he's a an average to slightly above average hitter. I think the Dodgers are really good at this too. And, and I do lean toward believing in Outman to some level because the Dodgers know what they're doing um, at an incredible level. By the way, um, Babip, and, and, and I think you'll agree with this, Joe, for those listening, Babip's not this end-all thing. We don't think that. Um, but when because good hitters have high batting averages on balls in play. You look at Mike Trout, he's running a 370, 383, like good hitters have high guys, batting averages on balls in play. Yeah, it's what generally you're guys that hit there, the ball really hard. Right. What we're looking for there is some sort of outlier, something that really nobody could have expected. And then looking for reasons why it could be real. And when you don't have that, you tend to, to doubt that a 407 Babbitt is even remotely real. I will say this uh, as we close out Outman and move on to uh, one pitcher and wrap up, uh, the maiden voyage of the FSS plus podcast here with Jason Churchill and Joe Doyle is you get a guy, um, you get a guy like, like Outman and you wonder those things. Why is the Babbitt that high? Why is the, uh, the, the traditional numbers that high? Why is the slug almost 600? Um, is he hitting tons of line drives? Is he hitting? No, he's really not. Is he hitting, tons of fly ball 41%, but he's also hitting the ball on the ground 41% of the time. But that for me, Joe is actually a reason not buy entirely what's going on. But scouts do tell me, Hey, there's been some tweaks to the mechanics with James Altman. So I haven't studied that and asked for specifics, but that could suggest that at least some of this is real. And that's another reason why I guess I'm buying uh, James Altman one pitcher, Joe, one pitcher and we'll sign off for the day. Sonny, Gray, who's an established starter. He's what, 33 years old. He's in Minnesota now. In six starts, he's thrown out a 204 FIP. He's been worth uh, 1.5 wins above replacement. Strikeout rate almost 30%. Uh, throwing enough strikes, about 8.5% walk. 
uh, but all the metrics look good. He's running a, a standard ERA under one of 0.77. Everything looks really, really good here. Are you buying? He's done this before, both for full seasons and for partial seasons, and then lost it. Are you buying Sonny Gray at this point? Is there something in the water in Minnesota for Mr. Gray? Is there something in the water in Minnesota? If that wasn't a song by Creedence Clearwater, I don't know what it is. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, I I am buying Sonny Gray to a certain extent. Like, I think he's going to be more valuable than he's been in recent years. I think he's going to probably be a little bit more towards the type of guy that he was early in his Cincinnati career, like more of a three and a half to four win type of a guy. Mm -hmm. Uh, The velocity is up a little bit. I I know that the ERA is obviously um, unsustainable, but he's striking guys out. Uh, The ground ball rate is where you want to see it. The one thing that I do kind of worry about a little bit with this, but the, the stuff has looked good. Like he is every batter that he's allowed on base, he's stranded. Like he's still, he's still kind of where he's always been in terms of, you know, walks per nine. They're they're a little lower than his career, but you know, walks per nine, hits per nine. Like he's still kind of allowing uh, similar rates there. Not so much with the hits, but with the walks. I just wonder if you know he's leaving ninety two percent of the batters that he puts on base on base so uh, that will definitely regress but the stuff looks good the velocity is up uh the the batted ball rates are are in a really healthy spot so yeah i mean i, I think this guy kind of looks like the all-star righty that he was for a number of years and uh probably gets one of the three or four best years of his career this year hasn't given up a home run all year we know that's not sustainable it's been uh, 35 innings um he does generally do for a guy who's only what five eleven, six feet tall. I don't know what he's listed at five ten. Uh, he's probably legitimately five ten. I'm not sure what he's listed at. He does stay on top of the ball really well, and when he keeps it down, um, he does keep the ball in the ballpark pretty well. But better this year than any year of his career. And you know what? The thing that sells me on Sonny Gray to a very large extent, so I'm buying this, is the 13.4 percent swinging strike rate, highest of his career. And you mentioned the velocity's up a little bit. Uh, I like it. I'm uh, I'm sold on the twins. I'm sold on Sonny Gray. Uh, Joe, we're going to do this once a week. You and I are going to talk once a week. Well, you and I are going to talk a lot more than once a week because we talk baseball a lot on and off the air, on and offline. Um, we live in the same area, but I'm going to bug you once a week. We're going to do this. Oh, good. Uh, we're going to do this. We're going to drop these every Friday is the goal. Uh, we're going to mix in a guest or two here and there. We're going to get... Uh, we're going to get Mr. Jeremy Booth involved. Mr. Future Star Series himself involved here a little bit. Um, we're going to have a little fun here. Um, I don't know. I don't know. The buy and sell thing's more of an early season thing, but uh, but I like it. And maybe we'll do it again next week uh, because I'm curious to get Joe Doyle's take on the Philadelphia Phillies, the defending National League champs who started the season 15 and 17, but they got Bryce Harper back in like ridiculous record time off of Tommy John surgery. That guy is absolutely incredible. I want to talk about the Phillies next week and we'll do more draft, more minor league stuff. I'm going to see some players uh, this weekend and early next week as well. And we can share those notes, Joe uh, parting shot. Give me, and I don't mean a shot at me. Don't like, I, you're really good at that. By the way. So if you have a funny one, please do. Yeah. The, I really like the low hanging fruit. All right. All right. Fine. Fine. Go for it. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not. You've already done that. that during the show here. You've already done that. You've been like, you've been doing this a long time, a lot of years. Like you've already done throwing the backhanded stuff at me. So go for it. Just throw one right in my face. I'm good. 
Uh, no, I, I, I'll save it for next time. I'll think of something really good, but, um, how about this? Let's do something a little bit different here. What's, what's your hot take for, uh, for May 4th here in terms of, of the big league season so far standings teams, like we're not going to go into it. We're not going to expand on it, but Mm -hmm. when you look at the standings, when you look at the players, what's, what's, what's a hill that you would die on right now? Uh, the Houston Astros are mediocre. They are who they've shown us they are to this point. That's not changing. How about That's that? One. I, I'll, They're going to get healthier. They're going to get Jose Altuve back, but I'm not buying them as more than an 85-win team, though. I'm done. I'm out on the Astros. How about that? I, I'm going to say that per dollar, the New York Mets will win close to the least amount of games per dollar in the history of the league. Wow, three hundred. What are we looking at? Three hundred eighty million. Are you going to do the math at the end of the year? I don't want to do the math. math. I don't want to do that. <laughs> so truly, just a hot take. I absolutely. But they look like they look like an eighty-five or an eighty-six win team, and you know, Justin Verlander is regressing, and Max Scherzer is getting lit up, and the offense doesn't look terribly dynamic. All right, so. let's throw the let's throw the Mets on the, on the card for next week too. The Phillies, the Mets. We're going to talk about basically. We're going to talk about the NL East next week. So there you go. There's half the show next week on FSS Plus with Jason Churchill and Joe Doyle. Uh, all right, that'll do it. We'll wrap it up. Hey, we'll, uh, at some point there'll be some, uh, some rhythm to this, but right now I'm a middle-aged white guy. I got no rhythm. We got to get a drummer, a drummer. That'd be a fun. Drummer? Has there Why been a podcast that, that has a drummer that kind of dictates how fast people talk about topics? <laughs> that is a great parting shot. Joe, <laughs> We'll talk again next week. Appreciate it. Look for Joe's stuff online. He's at Joe Doyle, M-I-L-B on Twitter. Uh, find his work at futurestarseries.com. There's a new draft board up. It goes 500 players deep. I'm halfway through it, and I'm going to get back to it here in a few minutes. Uh, we'll talk next week, Joe. All right, man. So just chill to the next episode. Okay.